Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. I'm Christian Sager. And I'm Joe McCormick. And uh, it's Thanksgiving in America, so we're doing what a lot of you guys and gals are doing. We're uh, about to sit down here to a little a little, little Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, Arnie the Mailbot has actually offered to prepare Thanksgiving dinner for us. But I don't know if you guys noticed, he seems a little hung up at the turkey carving stage. Like, he goes to carve, and then he stops... And resets a bunch of times. I think it maybe he's still struggling with the recent installation of Cartesian doubt. Mm, I that mean, always possibly. makes me pause when cutting up a bird. Yeah, is the turkey there? Whether How it's a can pigeon, I know it? Turkey, goose, sparrow. I can just keep naming birds, guys. Yeah, penguin. <laughs> Have y'all ever eaten penguin meat? No, no, me neither. Mm, future episode. <laughs> Well, let's let's call Carney in here. I, we we can't wait for him to cut into that bird all all uh, all day long. So, get in here, Carney, and uh, bring us some listener mail because we know it's been accumulating. That's your your primary function is to provide the listener mail for us. So, uh, let's see what we got. So, as we have discovered, Carney has collected an amazing, gigantic treasure trove of wonderful email from our listeners. And we have so much great listener mail, we absolutely cannot read it all today. We can't even come close. So we're going to read a selection of some of the great uh, messages we've gotten from our listeners. It's not going to be everything. If your email doesn't get read, please don't take it personally. 
Uh, we, we love all the correspondence we get, and we will try to work it into a future episode. We, we'll probably have another one coming up around uh, around the end of the year, around Christmas, New Year's, that 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 kind of yeah. type of season. Right? Hey, Joe, where uh, where do these come from? Like, where where do these letters come from? Where do we where do we get them at? Ah, well, I'm glad you should ask, Christian, because they come straight to the account blow the mind at howstuffworks.com. When you email that account, funny story. It goes straight into a wire that runs into Carney's head, and oh. that's how he collects the messages. Unfortunately for us, the wire is often at like human neck height, so when we're walking around the office, we, we can often uh, kind of get our yeah, throats I've caught on it. I've been lined once or twice. And you know there's another wire, too, that runs in all of our feeds from Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, where we are also below the mind. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so this one actually comes to us from the mail account, the, the, the clothesline wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Hannah, and she says, I'm an undergrad psychology major, a low-key religious person, and a big fan of science, except astronomy. That stuff makes me anxious. I recently took a cultural anthropology course titled Magic, Witchcraft, and Religion. That sounds right up our alley. Mm-hmm. And one of the documentaries we watched in the class was about temporal lobe epilepsy, and the role the disorder played in giving birth to the nascent field of neurotheology. Now, I have to wonder if this mail uh, is coming in reference to the episodes Robert and I did on techno-religion. I believe that's what it's referring to. That would make sense. Yeah, it sounds like it. Temporal lobe epilepsy is exactly what it sounds like, a type of epilepsy in which seizures occur in the temporal lobes of the brain. What makes this condition even more interesting than other forms of epilepsy, which are also all very unfortunate for the sufferers, is the tendency for patients to report religious-type hallucinations during their seizures. This experience has been reported by both religious and fervently atheistic patients. uh, She's got another paragraph here. Many historical figures who were prominent in religion, such as Joan of Arc and Ellen White, who's the founder of Seventh-day Adventism, have been suggested to have been affected by TLE. Other than the religious visions they reported, these figures were also documented to have fits and dissociative states consistent with TLE. Ellen White's visions actually began occurring after a significant injury to the side of the head, precisely over her temporal lobe. Persinger's God Helmet, which I believe you guys talked about in that episode. Uh, We didn't talk about it in that episode, but it's definitely come up a few different times in the past uh, on the stuff. I feel like we've mentioned it before. Yeah. Okay. Persinger's God Helmet is a well-known example of experimental exploration of neurotheology. Though his work has been criticized and has yet to be replicated, neuroimaging in Carmelite nuns and Buddhists in meditative states has also shown increases in activity in the temporal lobes during experiences of religious observance. Those who are interested in neurotheology are faced with the question, is this evidence that religion really is all in our heads, or does this show that our brains have an antenna for signals from deities? And then she says that she finds it fascinating from so many angles and thanks us. Well, that's an interesting question because you kind of get you get back to that idea, all right, if there is a divine force from outside the universe reaching yeah. into our reality, then the hand of God, the hand of the gods, whatever, it has to make some sort of stirring of the visual universe mm-hmm. of the of the um observable universe that we can observe. So, I don't know, you could I could see someone try and make an, argue, an argument to say, yes, this neural activity is a sign of uh, 
such a force reaching in, or the the, the other side is just a compe- just as compelling. Yeah, in general, I wonder what this means for people who um, who would take some religious experiences to be authentic. Like, let's say you accept these results and say, okay, there are uh, there are definitely things you can do to the brain, ways you can stimulate the human brain that cause experiences that seem, at least from descriptions, to be very similar to the religious experiences people have of gods or visitations from angels or, uh, you know, the apocalypses, revelations from heaven. Uh, and you, you say, okay, you can cause that with stimulation to the brain. Can you say... Well, sometimes it's caused by, you know, physical action in the brain, yet other times the similar experiences are truly caused by intervention from divine forces or, you know, gods. Yeah, I mean, when you start bringing in the supernatural, I mean, it becomes increasingly difficult, right? I mean, if you're going to if you're going to acknowledge the existence of a supernatural force, mm-hmm. then what are the rules for that supernatural force? Well, yeah. I'll play Mulder on this one. What if it's both? So what if? Well, yeah, that's what I'm asking. I mean, antenna, would some people yeah. say, mm-hmm. "Yeah, okay, you can stimulate the brain and cause experiences this way," but right. some very similar experiences are for real magic? Yeah, it reminds me of um, Philip K. Dick's later work, especially that book Valis. Have you guys read that before? Where he's, read Valis. he's being no. contacted by an outside force, and uh, yeah, it and there's there's quasi-scientific explanation for it, but it's also kind of like, is this in his head or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to interpretation, and, and you know, you often hear um, the, the example brought up uh, when it comes to auditory hallucinations and that if yeah. you hear voices, and how you're not supposed to respond to the voices. So, you know, any kind of supernatural supernatural occurrence, paranormal experience, uh, even though the, 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 the cause is very rooted in uh, the natural world and in natural phenomenon, if you answer the voice, if you heed the call, right? Yeah. Then uh, that's all it necessarily takes. Yeah. Well, I think Hannah's proposed a potential new topic for us to maybe go down the rabbit hole with. Yeah, we should do an episode or more than one episode on the the God Helmet Just, and the religious I, experience. And neurotheology have, in general sounds yeah, like a I, great hole. I, I have really been wanting to revisit techno-religion because there was so much I wanted to say in that episode that we couldn't even fit into the two parts we did yeah. in it. Yeah, it can be an ongoing uh, series if uh, folks are interested. Yeah, please let us know if you want to hear more on uh, the electromechanical messiahs of the world. Now, Joe, uh, the robot is trying to hand you another piece of mail. Oh, this I, one I seems to be covered in because... turkey uh, uh, entrails, so I think it managed mm-hmm. to cut into that bird. Yeah, base. It's kind of menacing with that electric carving knife in the same hand. But okay, here we go. Hi, I heard your recent podcast about echoborgs, and I was surprised that in your discussion of serenoids that you didn't really go over the reality TV hidden camera shows, because a lot of those are all about someone talking in your ear, telling you to do stuff. Some of them, like What Would You Do?, are just instructing actors for scenes to try to get reactions out of the surrounding people to test social ethics. Others are like Repeat After Me, or maybe a famous person or something has an earpiece and is told to do crazy stuff to unsuspecting people. <laughs> I think for most of the celebrities, people just think that they're eccentric famous people or something. Uh, hmm. I've never seen a reality TV show like this. It, though it, it rings a faint bell, but yeah, I've never seen it. Uh, there so. is a certain way in which reality TV does almost almost tickled the boundaries of, of profound, weird insights on what real behavior is. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, like, I'm not familiar with these two shows that she mentions, 
Um, and I wonder actually if they're um, not available in America uh, because I think her address looks like it might be overseas. But anyways, uh, first of all, I like I think as just media literacy, it's important to be aware that you know reality TV is always narratively constructed, yeah. as, just as much as fictional television is. But but also this reminds me of Are you guys familiar with the comedian Kurt Braunohler? No, he he's a pretty funny guy, and he does a podcast for Nerdist called The K Hole. Uh, and, uh, he, he has this, uh, new bit that I recommend our listeners and especially Elizabeth go listen to that's about how he used to be one of these people on a reality type show in which he would sit in a diner and they would set up potential dates like blind dates and they would come in and interact with him and he would have a, a ventriloquist dummy in his lap and would talk to them only through the dummy <laughs> And apparently this one woman he interacted with was deathly afraid of dummies and just lost her mind and ran out of the restaurant crying. And then, uh, as reality show producers are wont to do, they said, chase her. Uh, so oh, he no. chased after her with this ventriloquist dummy. He does this much funnier version of the story. So I, I recommend that you go listen to it, but it sounds a lot like what she's what Elizabeth here is positing. Hold on, can there be shows. legal consequences for chasing somebody with a creepy doll? No, because if you... Uh, this is my take on fear of any kind of puppets or marionettes. Is If you were afraid of a storytelling medium uh, as ancient <laughs> as puppets, then you deserve to be chased to the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny bit is that at the end... Like maybe five years later, he goes to a party and this woman's at the party and she just like freaks out all over again. And she says, <laughs> that's him. <laughs> and everybody knows who she's talking about. Oh, that's great. Oh, wait, hold on. It looks like Carney has a message for you, Robert, and it's covered in sand. Ah, right. I know what this is. This comes to us from Kelly. Kelly writes and says, hey, guys, just wrapped up your two-part series on Dune, uh, referring, of course, to the science of Dune uh, that we did a two-parter on. Great job. Awesome picks for music, too. I'll be honest, I was never a big reader growing up and have never read the Dune novels. My introduction to Dune was originally through the movie that I recently rewatched. After the movie, it was the computer game Dune 2, developed by Westwood Studios and released in 1992. Wait, Ooh. what? Yeah. I've never heard of this. Oh, is yeah, it like yeah. a Command and Conquer style game? It is, yeah. Whoa. She okay. says, uh, it was only loose Loosely based on the novels, the game is fantastic for its era, and I've even found a browser version to play in recent months. It was a real-time strategy game where players would select from one of the three houses, Atreides, Harkonnen, or Ordos. Each house had spe- uh, specialty units and weapons. The goal was to defeat the other two houses and control all of Dune and her spice by growing your base and defeating the enemies. Some say this was the spawn of real-time strategy games, and I'll admit I enjoyed many that followed, including Command and Conquer, uh, the Command and Conquer series also developed by Westwood. Yeah, when when we were putting together a lot of this material, I I ended up looking up some of the the old Dune games. Yeah. And these were fabulous because they had these elaborate cutscenes, which was apparently a Westwood Studios thing. Yeah. Command and Conquer was the same way. Yeah. With some hilarious bad acting, too. But with, like, early 90s graphics. Yeah, I mean, it looked pretty good. Well, I think it was the the full motion video era. So the game would be animated, but then when the cutscenes came in, it was essentially, like, video. Oh, okay. okay. And and the... The examples I looked at looked pretty good. Like the the makeup was nice. They yeah. kind of they went after the look and feel of the Lynch Dune movie, but mm-hmm. with some additions here and there. Um, it it also this reminds me a bit of the the board game legacy for Dune. There there was a game that came out in 1979 from. Uh, 
oh, let's see, who was it? It was Avalon Hill. Uh, they put out a, a Dune game that had the, the circular uh, map of the planet, and you had all these factions and characters, wow. and you're trying to harness the spice uh, uh, market on uh, on, a, on Arrakis and also uh, manipulate other people, form alliances. It was really complex. Needless to say, since it was a franchise game, it's long out of print. Yeah. If you get a copy, it's hundreds of bucks. But the um, the but print and play um, services make it possible now to both print and play the original, oh, as yeah. well as various uh, stripped-down fan versions. Uh, there's one in particular that came out in the last year called uh, Dune Dice, or hilariously, The Dice Must Flow, uh, <laughs> which uh, which looks wonderful. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but it's dice-based. You have the same map. Everyone gets to choose a different faction and form alliances. So Man. it's a rich world for gaming, that's for sure. I don't know if you guys talked about this in the Dune episode or not, but you, you know how Hollywood just loves franchise universes right now and they yeah. really you know they they're, they're really looking for like the next Harry Potter or the next Star Wars or whatever. Dune is so great. But I also feel like it's the books that are really like the heart of what makes it great and and I like both of the movie adaptations by the way, but I don't know that you could turn it into a franchise like that, but I would kind of love a world where you could just go to the store and buy a Dune board game, yeah, or uh, or, or play a Dune video game. Oh, I I think that HBO should, in the spirit of Game Ooh. of Thrones, make a Dune TV series. There you it would go. be fabulous. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because that that's the problem with the movies. You know, there's just not enough. Uh, there's not enough room for it to breathe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good point, Joe. Yeah. All right, HBO producers that are listening, make it happen. So thanks, Kelly, for writing in. And we got another one here coming out of Arnie slash Carney that is also for Robert. Yeah. Also covered in sand. Covered in sand and some weird oh. looking and Arnie's bio eyes slime. are glowing. All right. Well, this one comes to us from Peter. Peter, and that's P-E-T-E-R, so it's not, uh, we don't have to worry about this being not, a twisted. Not Peter DeVries. Yeah. <laughs> he says, uh, so I loved your two-part Dune podcast. Super fun to listen to. Here's my question about reading the book. How do you guys get past the writing style of the book? By which I mean the use of so many common and non-futuristic ideas, words, terms, and names, like who's going to be named Jessica in a thousand years, flapping flying machines, sand trout. <laughs> I'm just really distracted by sci-fi that I, that, uh, that is supposedly futuristic, high-tech, etc., but was written long enough ago that it seems silly now. Even Williams Gibson's early stuff seems extremely dated to me, and though I loved reading it at the time, it's impossible for me now. But I really uh, want to read and enjoy Dune. I've tried a couple of times. Just curious about how you guys handle that kind of issue, if it's an issue for you at all. Thanks. Uh, you know... I, I do have to report that it took me quite a few tries to get going in Dune, mm-hmm. but once I got past page, I don't know, 20 or 30, I couldn't stop. Yeah. Uh, but the, I tried, I think, literally like three or four times to start the book and didn't get past the first 20 pages. That's so. the language, though, you mean more so than the the scientific concepts, right? Um, I guess he's I talking think, about? I think it's something about how the very beginning of Dune... Uh, there is so much unfamiliar stuff it throws at you right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. There, it, It's hard to get a foothold at mm-hmm. the very beginning. You're just thrown right into this. Yeah, it doesn't hold your hand. <clears throat> yeah, you're thrown right into this truly alien world. And alien in a way that most science fiction is not alien. Because mm-hmm. most science fiction is you have very standard, conventional kind of culture and, and reference points. And there's just some weird technology or some aliens in it. 
in this, you know, everything that people think is unfamiliar to us. Yeah. I would have to say that in, in my uh, enjoyment of Dune, well, first of all, when it comes to things like, oh, the character's name is Jessica, I just, I read enough fantasy and sci-fi that I just kind of turn that off. Occasionally, I'll remind myself, oh, well, why would they have this word in their language when that word you know, derives from the Greek? Did, yeah. they have, uh, did they have Greeks in this fantasy world? Probably not. But you just kind of have to turn that off. And, and I like to think, well, this is probably a translation. This is a translation mm-hmm. of this other world story into my world, and therefore it must conform to the language of my world. Right. That's a good point. I mean, if it's thousands of years in the future, they wouldn't be speaking English. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this, yeah, this is a translation for us, it's kind of like how uh, you read in the Bible that there was a character named Peter. I mean, they didn't say the word Peter. Right. It, Ironic, <laughs> because this person's name was Peter, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's like a, you know, that's a, an anglicized adaptation of a name that, you know, you would have pronounced differently. So yeah. maybe maybe Jessica's real name is like Yashika. Yeah, (laughs) it's just like, well, the 20th century reader would read this as Jessica. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, some of the stuff that Robert features on Stuff to Blow Your Mind site a lot with the retro futurist flashbacks in that, like, I think all culture is cyclical. Right. And potentially authors like uh, like Herbert are thinking along the lines of, well, you know, the name Jessica will come back around again a thousand years from now Mm. or or uh, the. The, the, what was one of the ones he mentioned? The flapping flying machines. Like that may sound ridiculous now, but maybe at the time it would be some kind of retro version on their future technology. Yeah, and I think you know, I, I like that he mentioned Gibson uh, because Gibson's definitely an author where yeah. I, I can't remember what the technology was, but when I first read Neuromancer, right. like somebody gets a fax or something on there, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's some sort of bit of technology where you instantly think, oh wait, this is. This is the high-tech near future, and yet this is something that's already uh, yeah. uh, antiquated. You run into that kind of problem far more easier with near-future near sci-fi, but Dune is set so far in the future and following this uh, you know, massive Butlerian jihad during which we've turned against so much of our technology, it's like almost anything is fair game. The technologies that we've been forced to revisit, the new technologies, the, the, old, the old ideas that have become new through yeah. the development of metamaterials or what have you. Yeah, I think that's one of the fascinating things about Dune, actually, is the, uh, the, how some things are so alien and some things are so familiar and like picking out the weird little elements that have survived the 10,000 years in between. I, I love that there are characters named Jessica and Paul. I think that's, that's, uh, very curious and strange. And I would argue almost definitely deliberate choice on Herbert's part. Uh, I, I, it, Strikes me as unlikely that he just kind of like was lazy and couldn't think of a better name. But I will add that uh, my wife, Rachel, was this was one of the funniest parts of Dune for her was that the main character is named Paul, (laughs) like Paul on the Wonder Years. Come on. (laughs) Looks like the next piece of mail that Carney has brought out is uh, wrapped in a membrane. Okay, so this uh, we've shaken the amniotic fluid off of this letter, and uh, this one comes to us from Krista, and she's writing to us about the birth 
call episode that we did. She says, I under, I, I listened to Born Under the Call with great interest. I have only come across one other mention of the folklore associated with this, and I thought you might find this interesting. Forgive me if you mentioned this. I was at work while listening and may have missed this. Uh, no, we did not mention no, this, and this, this. And yes, I did find this interesting. So, uh, this is a little bit of, of, of factoid surrounding birth calls, uh, and their sort of legendary myth. Okay, she says, while studying the records of the Great Inquisition, an Italian historian, Carlo Ginzburg, read of a group of men from the Friuli region of Italy who were persecuted as witches from the 1570s through the 1640s. I think you would place them within the cunning folk tradition. We talked about cunning folk actually in our la- uh, last um, episode on uh, the summer reading episode because yes. Warren Ellis uh, writes about cunning folk in his mm. new nonfiction book. They called themselves the Benendante, good walkers, or the Camisiola, born with the call. These men were chosen only from among those who were born with the call, which reportedly they kept with them. They would go into a trance on certain days of the year. They believed they left their bodies, went to the field in spirit, and armed with fennel stalks, (laughs) battled evil witches to protect the harvest. If they lost, the harvest would fail. They also may have practiced healing. Ginsburg's research was published in a book called The Night Battles. Thanks for all the weird and wonderful podcasts. Keep up the great work. Oh, man, I've got to read about that. Yeah, that is- yeah. I actually think we need to do an episode on Cunning Folk um, because it just seems to be popping up in a lot of different locations lately. And, and uh, there's there's a lot of like mixture of... Uh, villagers trying to understand the world through this tradition. Give me the one sentence pitch on Cunning Folk. They're uh, Great Britain's ancient wizards. Sold. Okay. So this is uh, this is kind of in keeping with um, uh, Jonathan Strange and uh, I think, all that, right? Yeah, I think it's along those lines. Uh, if you didn't hear the... Um, the episode uh, where we talked about our summer reading recommendations, Warren Ellis has a, a digital book out called Cunning Plans, and I believe it's maybe 99 cents on Kindle or something like that. And he, it's called Cunning Plans as such because he talks about the cunning folk tradition uh, and its relevance to today and technology and philosophy and culture. Uh, and he's also working on a comic right now that's called Injection, and there's a character in that that is a cunning man. Double sold. Yeah. Okay, got it. We've I recommend checking that. both of them out. Father's Day is coming. A day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us. To crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian cocktail maker, it's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Ever tried to tackle a home improvement project without making 10 trips to Home Depot? What if I told you there's a way to earn cash back while you shop? 
Introducing Drop, the ultimate rewards app. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards by shopping in-store or online at Home Depot and tons of other stores. Download the Drop app today and use code DROP33 to get an instant $5 in points. That's Drop, your go-to for shopping rewards. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, well, let's call Carney over here again. Uh, looks like he's progressed somewhat with the turkey uh, and is on to working on the cranberries. Well, depends on if you call progress. I mean, <laughs> the legs are on the floor and there's a bunch of turkey juice on the wall. Well, it's a difficult algorithm to calibrate. Uh, okay, well, what well, does he we, have there? Yeah, we at least have another email from, from Carney here. So this is an email from our listener, Jack, in reference to the episode Robert and I did about the science of slot machines and how they are perfectly designed to steal your money and maybe your soul. But this is what Jack says. Hey, first time emailer, long time listener. The first and only time I had experience with slot machines was one day when my dad had taken me out to the movies and we had about an hour to kill beforehand. So he stuck me into a gaming lounge of the local bar. (laughs) He said he was going to teach me a lesson about gambling and how you never win. That is a good lesson for kids to learn. That's my comment, not Jack's. Uh, But Jack says, he started off by putting $20 into the machine. After about 10 minutes, this had been doubled by winning to 40. (laughs) So we kept on playing. After about 30 minutes, we were on over $100. So he decided to quit on a 500% (laughs) profit. (laughs) He went on to tell me that this doesn't normally happen and not to gamble. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Cheers if you read this. I've been listening for about three years. Love all the podcasts that How Stuff Works puts out. Well, thank you so much, Jack. But that's funny because, of course, within 
the uh, the great numbers of people who do gamble all around the world, part of the statistical profile of that number is that some tiny few will come out on top, but it's such a tiny few, you can't expect to be that person. What if the slot machine has life lesson detection software so that right. if it feels a life lesson coming on between a father and son, it pays out maximum? You that, know what? We could. Uh, I would imagine that slot machine builders could do that nowadays. Yes. Right? You just slap on like Siri or some Google Voice pickup thing. It hears the father <laughs> say, here comes a life, le- life lesson, and it's like, Mm, dude, you are change the algorithm. You are kidding, but I am entirely serious that I think it's possible that someone could design a slot machine to uh, to essentially have a camera in it that yeah. recognizes if the person sitting in front of the slot machine is probably a child, oh. and if it's probably a child, then it pays out at a higher rate than it normally yeah. would in order yeah. to cement positive feelings and reward associations within the mind of that child. Even if the slot machine loses on that one gaming session, yeah. it'll get it back for the rest of that child's life. It's like dealing drugs on a playground. Exactly right. You get them hooked when they're young. Mm. Game is the game, yo. Oh, one thing I forgot to include, but we should maybe read at some point, is we, we did get a comment on... Uh, on our slot machines episode from somebody who works in designing slot machines. And he, oh. he said that he liked our episode, but that we were unnecessarily harsh about about <laughs> slot machines, that we were too hard on them. I don't know. Were we too hard on them? Uh, you know, I could see where one might have that opinion coming from the... Um Sort of the, the you know from the from the technological side of the slot machine from even the the artisan side of the slot machine yeah. because it, this is this uh, individual's work you know yeah. but and we res- we respect and the we, work yeah. you do for the skill you have yeah I mean the, the as just pure machines they they're phenomenal I mean the the technology involved the the way that the technology has it really evolved just in such a short amount of time yeah. it's it's incredible but their overall purpose is to take money from people play to extinction yeah hey speaking of extinction it looks like carney has another message for you robert and this one smells like a corpse all right this one comes to us from amy amy writes in and says hello one of the way one way of honoring remains and she's referring to our human remains episode right is having them made into jewelry i think it's kind of a neat way to keep uh, uh, loved ones quite literally with them uh one company can make them into crystals or store them in small sealed uh, locket like containers my friend had a jeweler jeweler make a small metal ball necklace containing some of her mother's ashes in it uh oh and apparently it's illegal to have your pet's ashes mixed with your human ashes though i have no idea how they enforce it yeah. huh. <laughs> i i also grew up around a lot of church cemeteries with sunken graves and crooked tombstones there's a seminary in my childhood neighborhood where there were stones from the 1700s and the jesuits that settled the area many of which were weathered to illegibility also there are a few european trees they brought with them so uh that's uh, that's inter- the 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 whole ju- the creating taking the the ashes and processing them into some sort of uh, precious item. Yeah. Uh mm. I like the jewelry idea. I've also run across there was a company at least a few years back they were pushing the idea of having your ashes used to press a record, a uh-huh. vinyl record except of course it would be like some 
version of vinyl with right. ashes inside right. it, and the record could contain um, sound of you screaming. Yeah, the, the sound of you <laughs> screaming. Well, more more likely a pleasant message, or I would think maybe your favorite album. Like because what would be better in death than to become your favorite album? Maybe it's a mix your, of all those things. It's like the Voyager recording. Your own memorial song for your own death. Have you have you all ever heard Criswell's "Someone Walked Over My Grave"? The amazing Criswell. Yeah, the amazing Criswell from the beginning of Plan Nine from Outer Space. If you're not familiar with him, he was a guy who'd go on TV and predict stuff about the future that was always way super, uh-huh. super wrong. Uh, but he wore a tuxedo, so people believed him. Uh, but he also ended up in Ed Wood's movie. So at the, he's at the beginning of Plan 9 from Outer Space going like, Greetings, my friends! You are interested in the future. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he recorded a song called Someone Walked Over My Grave. Oh, it's on YouTube. It. You should look it up. Huh. It's just him talking over some piano music about how someone walked over his grave and disturbed his sleep. Well, would, is that what you'd pick? What would you pick if you had to pick one album? Oh, I'd say. make my own version of that, just kind of oh, like yeah. ominously threatening people with hauntings if they disturb my slumber. What if you had to pick your favorite album? You had to become that album in death. What would you pick? Uh, we've already established it would have to be Dope Throne. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good one. How about you, Kristen? I think it would be like Black Flags Damaged. Okay. I would probably go with uh, Boards of Canada's uh, Music Has uh, a Right to Children. I think that's a pleasant (laughs) album to become. Hey, so I've got another message here coming out of Carney that is also in reference to our slot machine episode. And this is, I think, a very useful math clarification. So, So this comes from our listener, Rhiannon. And Rhiannon says, hi, guys, longtime listener, love the podcast. But as someone with a master's in mathematics specializing in probability, I had to cringe in the most recent episode on slot machines. In the episode, you calculate the probability of winning on an eight picture slot machine as one eighth times one eighth times one eighth equals one out of five hundred twelve. The math is sound here, but only if there was only one winning picture. Assuming that you can match any set of the eight pictures and win, so all three of any one alien picture, that's referring to a specific example I can explain in a minute. There are actually eight ways you can do this, so you need to multiply the probability by the eight ways you can win, which would be eight times one in 512, or one out of 64. Uh, and so what she's referring to is an example we had in this episode where there's an alien slot machine. It's got three reels. Uh, one with the seven crew members of the Nostromo mm-hmm. and the alien on it. And if you want to line them up to win, what's your probability of winning? We said the probability of getting something like three three Ripley's is one-eighth times one-eighth times one-eighth. But uh, Rhiannon is exactly right that if you're not looking for three Ripley's or three Dallas's or three aliens, but any combination of three, the first reel doesn't matter. You're just trying to match the second two reels so the probability is actually 1 in 64 of any match, as opposed to 1 in 512 of a specified match. Um, and she goes on to explain that. Uh, she says, another way to think of it is the first picture is irrelevant, so the probability of the first picture being a success is 8 out of 8, but the second picture is uh, must match the first, so the probability is 1 out of 8. And the same with the third picture. And then she lays out the math again. Oh, okay. Oh, wait. So how many people should have survived the Nostromo incident? <laughs> now can, it's, it's making me re- you just question everything I saw in Alien now. Well, you know, there, there are a couple of characters way. who we never s- explicitly see die. You, you never know if they survived, though the ship does kind of explode in a nuclear uh, vaporization <laughs> event. Technically, so. there are two survivors. 
Oh, including the cat. Jonesy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jonesy is a wonderful Jonesy. Uh, but also, so Rhiannon finishes by saying, thanks for all that you do and keeping my runs interesting. I'm a professional marathon runner hoping to make my country's Canada Olympic standard. Holy cow. I have lots of miles to learn. Thank you so much for that clarification, Rhiannon. We always really appreciate when our incredibly smart listeners uh, can uh, can correct and clarify if there's something we say that sounds fishy. So we, we really appreciate that. And also, I thought it's interesting that you mentioned running because I, I do feel like we hear from a lot of people who listen while running. Is yeah. this a common thing? <clears throat> I listen to podcasts like that sometimes. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I don't run, so I can't just speak to that. But I'm glad that we're there with people as they run. Rhiannon sounds pretty awesome. Getting yeah. a master's degree in mathematics and a professional marathon runner. Yeah. I feel humbled. Yeah. yeah, and possibly a witch. That's a, that's a <laughs> powerful person. Yeah. Okay, so it looks like we've got another message here. And, oh, this one has a warning on it that we should not handle it without gloves. Okay. What's Let that me, about? I, I think I can guess. Let me get my gardener's gloves on here. Okay, it says, Hi, guys. I love the podcast and have been a listener for years. I just finished the Wolfsbane episode and wanted to help with Christian's confusion about the Nazi bullet experiment. This is one of those moments usually happens about once or twice an episode where I posit something really stupid scientifically and a listener writes in and it comes up with a good answer to it. So he says, it all comes down to the bullet expansion. So what I was talking about was whether or not you could put Wolfsbane inside a bullet because Nazis were uh, doing tests with, with aconite uh, to see if they could weaponize it. So he says, it all comes down to bullet expansion. A lot of bullets are engineered with hollow points to help them expand when they hit animals, meat, legs, etc. This hollow portion can carry a small amount of an alternate substance and not substantially hurt the metal's bullet, metal bullet's expansion. A tricky part to this is that each bullet has to be designed to expand when fired from the right gun as well. A bullet designed for a pistol won't expand well when fired from a long-barreled rifle. The velocity would be all wrong. This is my bet for why the test bullets failed to expand and overpenetrated. On a somewhat lighter note, if you rewatch Jaws now, you'll better understand the scene where the police chief pours mercury into his hollow point bullets. Huh. Expanded discussion points include the Geneva Conventions and ethical military bullet design. Thanks for the great podcasts. Excellent. That's some nice, nice, uh, Bonus info. Yeah, because I th- if I remember correctly, it turned out that the Nazi experiments did not work. It they, did not. They, they were yeah. shooting people with aconite, and there was no, other than being shot, there were, were no uh, poison effects from the aconite. Right. Uh, but in, it sounds like he's questioning their, their methodology. All right, here's another bit of uh, listener mail from, uh, coming into us here from Joyce. Joyce writes in and says, Hi, I'm listening to your ghouls episode. And at the end of it, uh, it's about human cannibalism. My uncles grew up during World War II in China, and my parents grew up uh, during the Vietnam War. And food was extremely scarce. They remember seeing people eat dead babies to survive. In order to get around the emotional attachment to, to the dead child, the people ate each other's babies. So I guess it isn't ancient history. Or morally wrong, given some culture circumstances. War stories they tell me growing up make me very glad and thankful for the semi-peaceful times we live in now. Keep up the good work. Loved the sane, insane episode. Referring to the Rosenhan. Yeah. Episode, uh, this is a, a, a great point that jo- Joyce brings up. Uh, certainly we, we got into 
human can- uh, cannibalism yeah. uh, as the, it the taboo on nonviolent cannibalism. Right. Like yeah. Why? Like we know it's obvious why there would be a taboo on killing people sure. to eat them, but. If somebody's already dead, why do we have a taboo against eating their flesh if it's not going to hurt them? Anymore? Like the alive yeah. scenario. Yeah, yeah, survival cannibalism, mm-hmm. which is is an important part of any discussion of, of human cannibalism history, uh, because that's where you see it pop up, this choice you have to make. Well, what what do I do to survive? What am I willing to do to survive? And, uh, yeah, I mean, if the circumstance... Uh, my opinion on this is, yeah, if you're in circumstances where survival can- cannibalism is the only way to survive... I mean, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So here, Joyce says one of the things is that they they got around. I think some of the the uh, emotional distress caused by the violation of this taboo by eating each other's dead uh, children or, or babies instead of their own. Mm-hmm. And so they. I mean, I guess that could help put some kind of distance between you and uh, the horror of it. I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's a, they, again to her point. I mean. Thank God that uh, that uh, you know we don't live. We're not living currently in times so yeah. dire that we have to make that kind of choice and figure out how to compartmentalize it uh, and and make it work for our survival. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, <clears throat> the the expeditions that went through the Northwest Passage in the nineteenth century because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of those ships went missing. Especially the Franklin expedition is really famous for it. Uh, and they they believe that not only did the ships sink and go missing, in fact, they recently have found evidence of Franklin's ships, but that there was cannibalism that went on, and it was not survival cannibalism. The the bones that they have found of some of the sailors uh, had mark indentations on their bones of of cutting. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Is getting gas at Shell burning a hole in your wallet? What if I told you you can easily earn cash back while you fill up? Introducing Drop, the app that turns every fill up into a reward. With Drop, you'll earn points to get free gift cards every time you fill up your tank. Download Drop and use code DROP88 to instantly receive $5 in points to jumpstart your savings journey. Don't miss out on turning your gas expenses into something rewarding. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. 
And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so we got another one coming out of the machine here, and it's glowing. It's really, I don't know, it's kind of far away. I don't know if I can reach it, but I think it's for you, Joe. Uh, yeah, this is from our listener, Eric, who is responding to the episode Robert and I did in our Halloween season about Will of the Wisp, the the glowing light in the bog, and, uh, and what is it? Uh, one of the things we talked about in the episode is the fact that Will the Wisp sightings seem to have sharply dropped off in the past hundred years or so. People used to report these all the time. Uh, writers from the 1800s and before talk about it as if it's extremely common, something people would just be familiar with in their day-to-day lives. Yeah. They'd be very likely to have seen it. I've never seen a Will of the Wisp, and it seems like most people haven't. So. And I wasn't on the episode, but I told you guys off air that the only reason I knew what it was was because there was a Spider-Man villain called Willow the Wisp that appeared in an <laughs> 80s comic I read. Well, apparently a lot of people are familiar with it from D&D. So oh, yeah. That's another right. reference point we talked about in the episode. But anyway, we asked our listeners, hey, have you ever seen the Willow the Wisp phenomena? And if you have, uh, write us and tell us. And so a couple of people did. One of them was Eric who wrote us this very interesting story. Eric says, Hey, gentlemen, you ask for anyone who's seen the elusive will of the wisp. I have had an experience with such an entity. I live in upstate New York, Shenango County, Shenango. That sounds it. Sure. Shenango County. I love to hike on the many finger lake trails or any trail that spreads across the woods. The area of land behind where I grew up had several pond marshy areas connected by a series of streams, generally just a wet place, no bog or swamp, though. At the age of 14, eight years back or so, I was several miles from home when darkness fell. I know all the woods there pretty well for my copious times wandering through them. It's also hard to get lost. If you walk in any direction for a little while, you will find a road, not a vast wilderness for sure. I was casually walking on a trail back with the moon as the only light when off to my right, about 300 feet into the woods, I see a bobbing whitish blue light. I walked, keeping an eye on it, thinking if there were any houses out that way, there were not. Not Mm. only that, but it seemed to be moving parallel to me. This is an awesome creepypasta. Yeah. 
I thought to myself, I'm not starving or near dehydration. I'm not delirious or mad. But I had a profound skeptical curiosity in the supernatural. I thought it might be a ghost. My neighbor liked to tell ghost stories about people getting lost in the woods by following a large white buck during deer season or a girl in distress that they could never seem to find. I think he just liked to scare me. I like the the buck. That sounds like yeah, a more recent great. take on uh, the same trope. Anyways, I followed it off the trail, taking note of where I was. I followed it, never seeming to be able to get closer than a 100 feet or so from it, but it looked like a dim blue flame bobbing and swaying in the dark, dancing around trees, egging me on to follow it. Prevaricating my worst thoughts, I kept following. It meandered through the woods. I had to walk over many little streams and around wet areas where it became hard to pass through. This went on for about an hour. Before I lost sight of it, I walked to where it last was, and it was the edge of one of the old farmer's fields. There are a lot of old fields that are not near any roads or anything, just isolated in the woods. I saw the bobbing light on the other side of the field. I knew exactly where I was and had had enough and decided to walk home. The road was only a little less than a mile from where I was. I followed the edge of the field to a path at one of the corners and the light followed me. But at some point during this time, it split off into three smaller bobbing lights. They never went too far from each other. One would get ahead and the others would quickly catch up. But they went parallel to me till I got to the path and I couldn't see them in the woods anymore, but I glanced back and saw them at the end of the path after I walked a little ways in. At this point, I began to walk fast, getting more and more unnerved. They never seemed to catch up, even after I started to run and ran out of breath and stopped to grab my breath. They didn't seem to get any closer, even though I wasn't moving. A few minutes later, I got to the road. I turned to see if they were still following me. I could still see them, but way farther off than uh, they had been the entire time. I watched them fade back into the woods behind the trees and brush. I walked back home, haunted by what I saw. I never told many people about that because it obviously sounds crazy. I researched it and came across the term will-o'-the-wisp in later weeks, but had never seen anything saying there were any sightings in the area. I never saw them again, though, despite many night hikes since then. Well, thought you guys would enjoy one of my more horrifying memories from my confusing, (laughs) angst-filled adolescence, battling with the existential dread of wondering about life after death and other planes of existence. Anyway, you guys are the best. I enjoy listening to you and other How Stuff Works podcasts. You feed the nerd in me. Uh, P.S. Robert, you have inspired me to grow sideburns the way they elegantly compliment your face. I hope I can pull them off half as well as you do. Always will be listening. Here, here. (laughs) Robert has excellent sideburns. He does. I'm always jealous. Thank you so much for this story, Eric. This was great. I, I don't know. I, I'm envious of this. I mean, I know it sounds like it was scary at the time. I wish I could see a Will of the Wisp. Mm. And why this, aren't there stories like this all over the Also, place? I got to say, like, just the way that he wrote this, like, it was, I was joking about the creepypasta thing, but there was a haunting way that this was written. It reminded me of, like, a Laird Barron story or one of those old Algernon Blackwood stories. Yeah, yeah. story. Uh, yeah, that's creepy. So, Eric, I'd be interested to hear what you think it was, having actually seen it. You, If you listen to our episode, we talked about the different hypotheses about what could be causing the Will of the Wisp, but the fact that there's really a lot of difficulty in deciding what it is because we can't, like, catch one and look at it in the lab and examine it. You're just trying to match explanations to written descriptions of phenomena. Yeah. 
All right, looks like uh, Carney is handing me another listener mail. Only he's handing this one to me with uh, what appears to be a cadaver arm with the puppet oh, strings attached to it. Okay. okay, I think I know what this might be about. This must be in reference to our fist punch theory of evolution episode mm-hmm. that de- deals with uh, the work of David Carrier uh, and his research team into how. Um, the human uh, fist might have evolved to punch yeah. other humans in the face, um, which is a fascinating theory explored in that uh, in that episode. And, and hey, as it turns out, this bit of email comes to us from David Carrier himself. Whoa. Wow, that's yeah. flattering. I'm flattered that he listened to the episode, but then what seems to be written here is also it, it, go ahead and read it. It's very okay, flattering. Yeah. This comes to comes from again from David Carrier, professor, Department of Biology, University of Utah. Hi, Robert and Christian. Thanks very much for the thoughtful and entertaining podcast and video you did on our recent article. Your podcast provides the best discussion of our work that I know of. Aww. Best wishes, Dave. Wow. Wow. That that really kind of gets me. We yeah. love hearing from the scientists who actually create the work that we reference in our episodes. Every now and then we do. I know we we heard from uh, the person behind the Echo Borg study mm-hmm. when we did the Echo Borg episode and and this one too and that is I'd say it's one of the most rewarding feelings is when I don't know as a, as a science communicator I at least often have the feeling of I really hope I'm representing this well and everything yeah. and and just having the person who actually did the work get in touch with you and let you know that in one way or another, you didn't completely screw it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like, or at least, if, if nothing else, I was, I was accurate, and I was able to convey the, the, the truth of the study. So, yeah. And this reminds me, actually, we did receive a few messages, both uh, as emails and through Facebook, from listeners who have martial arts backgrounds, mm-hmm. and they were adding in that uh they questioned the relevancy of the fist as the way that our hands would evolve for the best potential way to hit somebody in the face mm-hmm. because apparently uh the palm strike is known as a much uh better way to do so without hurting your own hand. You know, I don't know anything about this, but we heard from several people about it. I so I don't want to inherently criticize people who say that they may entirely be right, but that also Sounds a little bit like it could be bro science. Oh, <laughs> well, it might be. We talked extensively about bro science in that episode. You, you came up. I, I, I mentioned yeah. your uh, your disdain for bro science. Well, I mean, bro science is bro science. Yeah. Well, you know, we may just have to have uh, see if Professor uh, Kerry will talk to us sometime. And yeah, we maybe we maybe his yeah. next thing could be about palm strikes. Who knows? It, it, he's he's produced uh, several different studies. Yeah, on I this think we read so. like at least four or five for that episode. Yeah. yeah. No, I, no, I want to be clear about that. I, I'm not criticizing uh, Dr. Carrier's studies no, here, right, because right. if it's real science, I wouldn't call it bro science. You've got good good methodology and empirical verification. I, I don't consider that bro science. Bro science is, oh man, you're doing your protein stack all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, it looks like we have one final bit of listener mail here, and this one, again, is uh, is wrapped in a membrane of some sort. All right, let me see if I can chew it off. Ew. I think this is actually a website comment, uh, and hopefully on our next listener mail episode, we can get into a few more of the great comments that have been left on our yeah web page. It's harder for us to keep track of those sometimes because we don't yeah. get a. It, it doesn't ping us when those go up. We have to go back and, and yeah. And, and if you if you're unfamiliar with what we're talking about on the landing page at stufftoblowyourmind.com for the page 
where each episode is embedded, there's a comment section at the bottom there. And I believe it posts to your personal Facebook, but we don't necessarily see it because it doesn't go directly to the stuff to blow your right. mind. Right. The, the system needs a little tweaking, but we still yeah. try and go back and read them. So mm-hmm. uh, by all means, uh, feel free to interact with us there. This was a particularly good one about the birth call episode. It's from Jenna, and she says, I am a student midwife in Wagga Wagga, New South Wales, Australia. I feel extremely lucky that my first ever solo birth two weeks ago was an on-call birth. I'd like to share my experience. As the baby was exiting the birth canal, we could feel that the amniotic amniotic sac membrane was still intact. As you mentioned, normally the amniotic sac will burst. However, as the baby was born, I very briefly held it within the amniotic sac, like a baby in a big water balloon. It was a thin, opaque membrane, very full of baby and amniotic fluid. (laughs) I pierced the amniotic sac with my hands and removed the membrane from the baby. Both mother and baby are doing fine. Thanks for your brilliant podcast, as always. So, as we talked about in the episode, it's exceedingly rare to be born with a birth call, but it's even more rare to be born on call, which is Mm -hmm. your, the amniotic sac is completely intact and hasn't ripped or broken at all. Uh, this, and, 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 you know, as we've talked about earlier, there are a lot of uh, myths about such babies and the, the powers that they may hold. Well, let's uh, hope that this baby is imbued with vast and powerful abilities. What I want to know, Jenna, is what did you do with the the sack afterwards? Because that also holds power. You know, you can, as we talked about in the episode, you can bury it in the yard behind the house, or you can sell it to a sailor for good luck, can keep you from drowning. <laughs> There's so many things that that these uh, these birth calls can do, uh, but but to have an entire sack. That's that's useful. Wait, wait, I can't. I assume you're meaning like according to legend. Are you saying there are like also scientific things that a no. birth call can do? Oh. There's just a lot of legends about birth calls. Yeah. Okay. Lo- lots oh, of yeah. legends about different variations, depending on the color, depending on how big they are, whatever uh, of the various effects they can have. Yeah. I think the only issue we ran into is that we we wished we could have found more stories from Asia and Africa. Yeah. That was the thing. A lot of the legends were mostly European based. Yeah. Uh, it actually Jen is in Australia. So I wonder what kind of, um, you know, legends may have risen up around birth calls there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but thanks for writing in. I, I, it just that sounds like a thing that you would be in awe of. I know people talk about babies being born like that, anyways, but like it coming out in the membrane like that would just be like, whoa. Yeah. Hey guys, look, I think Carney's bringing out our meal. Oh, oh let's oh, wow. look. There's even a little tofurkey for me. Oh, but it's in a birth call. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it looks like there's some there's some sand in the center of the uh, turkey cadaver. Yeah, and there uh, are some uh, corpse jewelry mixed in with the stuffing. Ooh, that's kind of rough, Carney. But I mean, you, what what else can you do? I mean, it's, it's the way you're programmed. Well, I guess we better dig in, guys. Okay. So, if you want to send uh, more information to us, what maybe you want to respond to some of these, or maybe you want to respond to some of the other episodes, well, you can write us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Thank you.
Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Is getting gas at Exxon burning a hole in your wallet? Get the Drop app. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards just by filling up your tank. Download Drop now. Use code DROP66 to instantly receive $5 in points. NFLshop.com is your one-stop shop for officially licensed NFL gear to rep your favorite team. Check out the latest arrivals of jerseys, t-shirts, and much more. You'll find everything you need for a winning season with the best selection of NFL gear you'll find anywhere. Assemble your fan uniform for cheering on your team everywhere from the stadium to your couch. Shop an unbeatable selection of gear to showcase your team pride and style. To shop now, go to NFLshop.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.